Richie Nails fronts the Nail Heads. I've really been looking forward to this talk with you. Thanks for coming to The Antidote. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, it's time to test your memory. <laughs> I want you to take us back to day one of the Nail Heads. How did it begin? I believe it was uh, in the winter of 2008 when we uh, first got together. And uh, I remember my brother actually told me he had seen a guitarist on, I think it was Craigslist at the time. And he said, uh, you better check it out because this guy's into some of the same bands you're into. And I had been, you know, looking for a long time to find uh, members to, to start something up because I had been in bands in the past. I'd been in a another band with the same name, Nailheads, but it was just kind of restarting from scratch. Fast forward a few years and I was starting something up again, but I, I hadn't met anybody really that had worked out. So my brother told me, hey, check this guy out. That's where I met our first guitarist, Milton, and we, we got together. We talked about music, talked about things, and I found out we had a lot of the same interests musically, uh, punk and non-punk. That's what I liked about it. He wasn't just into the, the typical punk bands that everybody's into. He was into like tons of other stuff. He, he had a vast uh, knowledge of uh, rock and roll history. Like He knew you know, a lot of the early rock and roll bands from the 50s and uh, singer-songwriters like Tom Waits and things, so that interested me. And then after that, we started auditioning drummers. And the way me and him would jam at first, uh, he'd have an acoustic guitar, I had a bass, and we'd just kind of like, I'd show him the songs I'd written, and, and we'd do some covers. I remember one early cover was uh, Lonely Avenue by Ray Charles. And oh, really? Yeah, so we were really not just covering punk stuff. We were really trying to dig deep into our influences so it would come out in, into the, the band. And the drummer, I think it was our second audition, was lucky. And it was we knew right away that that was the drummer that had to be in our band. Then the rest is history. Well, I guess I should explain to our listeners that tonight's episode of The Antidote is a little bit different. Because I'm usually the one who chooses the songs and then asks the artist about them. But this time, I had you make the song list. So how did you make the picks? Uh, well... This is the first Christian radio interview I've ever done. So I picked my most blatant theological lyrics, I guess you could say, Christian lyrics. And um, I mean, some of them you have to read more between the lines. Sometimes people totally misunderstand where I'm coming from when I write a song, which is all good because I'm not really writing to people that aren't thinking. I like people to dwell upon lyrics, think about lyrics. And I I'm a strong believer in that a song will touch the specific person it's meant to touch. And so that can go over like a thousand, ten thousand people's heads. Obviously, we don't have that much of a following, but I mean, it, it can go over a few hundred people's heads uh, and then it'll hit that one person that, that it's speaking to and they'll understand. They'll get something out of it that nobody else can. So what you're really saying is that you picked the most straightforward songs because I'm not very bright. <laughs> no, 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 that's not, how, that's not how I felt about it. I think that a lot of the songs, I feel everybody knows them. I like these songs because they're just more outspoken and they're direct. And I, I like direct songs too. I mean, I wrote, I wrote these songs, so I don't think they're for dummies. I, I mean, I, or else I would think I'm a dummy writing them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're just as deep as any song. It's just that um, they're not uh, shying away from anything. I guess they're maybe a little less uh, written in a parable kind of way. And I kind of felt these songs needed more of a, a bit of light shed on them because... Like, there's no music videos for them or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel 
a lot of the time when you make music videos, the best songs get ignored. It's true. That often yeah. is the case. Yeah. My own bands that I like, I always got sick of them, but the ones that hit you first, whether it's the Ramones or whatever band it may be, their music videos are the songs that the most passerby type of fan would like right on the first listen. But then something poetically deeper, just like um, it could be a direct song, but it's a deeper meaning. Poison Heart by the Ramones or something. Mm-hmm. That, what, that actually was a single, but it kind of like went over a lot of people's heads. You know, everybody knows I want to be sedated or something. I guess what I'm trying to say is I wanted to ignore the I want to be sedated songs that we have and go straight to the, the meat. But it might be direct meat, but at least you know what you're getting. Then why don't we start this off with your 2008 debut on the run and the song Good Day to Die. That song lays out a statement about your faith in Christ. The thing is, I can't see you pushing the Nailheads ever as a ministry or even as a quote-unquote Christian band. Like, you're not wanting to convert the world with your music. Or are you? No, I mean, uh, I don't think anybody is going to be uh, converted by force. I'll write a song, honestly, from where I'm coming from. And... um, Sometimes it could be from another character, maybe. It might not be me. I might get into a character like, like an author of a book would. But what I mean to say is, like, I put experiences in there. I put whatever I'm feeling in there. Okay, well, tell me about the other members of the Nailheads. Are they on the same page as you are regarding faith? Uh, there's only been one other member of the band who was a Christian. That was the drummer who had been in the band the longest. Mm-hmm. And he had come to faith while he was in the band. He wasn't originally a Christian. so. But I, I am also the only songwriter. So it's all you. It's all your fault. It's all my fault. I got everyone in this mess. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, as far as band members go now, like the last record, there were a couple of original members on the album, Live to See Tomorrow. And um, there was another band member who had been in the band now almost uh, two and a half years now the band is just boiled down to me and um whoever will be on the next record will be on the next record it's a kind of not a secret but it hasn't been announced yet so it really is just a crapshoot now well i started this band originally there's one thing i left out is i started this band as an outlet for my songwriting because i'm a songwriter Mm -hmm. so it's always been that and it'll always be that as long as it exists that's never changed I think maybe some other people had different ideas about it. I never hid that from anybody. Like I always, they knew I wrote the songs and they knew that I'm a songwriter. So, you know, I guess I should admit to you that I love to label bands. <laughs> Overall, I'd say the Nailheads are punk. But on your follow up release, Finish Them Off with a Bat, you have this ska influenced track called Vanish. I guess because of Stomp Records, Montreal is really the home of Canadian ska. So was that kind of sound inevitable? Yeah, we uh, we play in the same scene as a lot of those bands. And even the musicians that are featured on that track, Vanish, and even uh, Lost Soul as well, which has uh, a brass section, and finish them off with a bat. Those songs on that record and on Too Cool for School, um, sorry, on Live to See Tomorrow, we also have some brass on that record as well. And uh, the people playing on those tracks are actually veterans from the Canadian ska scene. We have Patrick Taylor on trombone from the Planet Smashers and came in on the 45s. We have 
Maxim Law from K-Men in the 45s on saxophone, Lorraine Muller from the Kingpins on baritone sax. She also was featured in Fabulous Lolo. And uh, Joshua Michaud on trombone from K-Men in the 45s. So a lot of the people that are so fundamental to the ska scene in, in Canada are featured on our albums, which is cool. Does this mean that you're actually a closet ska band? <laughs> Not quite yet. Something else that's funny about the Nailheads is that you guys break the rules. Punk bands never release songs that are much over two minutes long. But on Too Cool for School, you included the six and a half minute counterculture. So are you even sure that's allowed? Yeah, I haven't been trying to follow anybody. You know, I got my influences, but I'm not trying to like repeat what's been done, I guess. That's what I think has been missing about punk in general in my point of view like i think any kind of music scene that starts off authentic it seems to end up generic and a lot of people forget like even i I love to research music like i research blues and all that stuff i love to find out that it comes from all over the world people love to say oh it started here or it started there to pinpoint it but like you were saying at the formation of punk is like the formation of all music it comes from all walks of life for me the, the what i take away from punk is the three pillars of punk it was outcast music, so socially, there wasn't like any um, division. It also was like opening doors for musicians that would otherwise be intimidated by for picking up an instrument. And the third one was like just being open in the sense that it pushed boundaries creative-wise. Like uh, you had people coming from the glam scene, the pub rock scene, the garage rock scene, and so even though the punks claimed to be like breaking away from musical traditions, they were all putting their musical traditions that they grew up with into the punk scene. It, it was a melting pot in the beginning. You know, like X-Ray Specs had saxophone. The Clash were playing reggae. Like, nothing was like, oh, it has to sound like this. It has to sound like that. And now to get back to the six-minute song, I don't know if you've heard the other songs on that record, but there's a few songs on there that are a bit experimental. Oh, yeah. You know, something about that song, Counterculture, is that it brings in a big statement. And it says, with all the glory seekers expecting fame, by skipping out on the story and bypassing the pain. A million bands that all sound like one, rising to the top like scum, while lepers and dogs lick up the crumbs. You had to annoy a lot of bands with that statement. If anyone was listening. (laughs) Oh, your vocals are pretty clear, you got to admit. Yeah, but I don't know how many people actually listen to lyrics. Like, you you listen to lyrics because you do that, but uh, I don't know how many people are listening to... Those, are, those lyrics are basically what I just said, but in a more uh, fancy way. <laughs> 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 well, there's a lot of noise in this world that you gotta you got to dig through to find uh, what is actually saying something of, of importance. And I think that's how I kind of feel about music in general. Like, um, I love music, and I mean, I love all kinds of music, but... How many people are actually saying something straight from their heart as a human being, like to hone in on those emotions? Like, I mean, even a guy like Brian Wilson, who's writing about the beach and some of those early songs, like uh, is reaching more human levels than a lot of the pop punk now. Every single artist I speak with say they're honest in their music. How honest are you in your music? I think a true artist is never satisfied. Uh, He's always trying to... uh, because as you grow as a person, you're you're trying to put that into your music too. I mean, a younger person is going to sing about their experiences up until that point, and they'll maybe they'll try to look into 
the future as much as they can. You know, you get some young guys like John Prine who sounded like he's an old man when he was young. I like those kind of songwriters that sound like old men when they're young. And then I guess they just kind of grow into being really old <laughs> for real. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier on, I spoke about the nailhead style. You really changed up everything on the new full length live to see tomorrow. So like, what were you thinking? That's the direction I've been trying to bring the nailheads into since the beginning. In a way, it's just, it took a matter of time to, uh, to get there. Like, not only to have like a, a tinge of country influence or a tinge of uh, folk influence, but to actually to go there and have those songs sound like the genuine thing. Uh, that's why that record is full of different uh, styles. So you really are interested in a multitude of genres. Yeah, totally. I'd say like punk might be the music I like the least. <laughs> Seriously. Well, in a sense that I find like the punk bands that are great are great. But it ends there. You got the really, really, really good bands, and then you just got a lot of crappy bands. And um, I, I guess to me, punk was never about you had to like punk just because you're a punk or whatever, you know? And I think that the punk attitude that they try to insist on has kind of been lost. And I think it, it started off genuine. And somewhere along the way, it became the opposite of what it said it was. And so you get like, okay, here's this punk movement that's supposed to really be each person trying to sing about what they're feeling. And um, I really got into punk because of the whole outcast idea. In the early stages of punk, there was an outcast side to it too, with especially the Ramones, I think, represented that maybe the, perhaps the best. Somebody like Didi Ramone maybe could have never made it as a songwriter if it hadn't been for a punk. And I think he's one of the greatest songwriters in rock and roll history. So much good came out of punk, but that doesn't mean that like, that's the only style of music that I'll listen to. Well, let me bring in the song from the album with the biggest style change, Nothing Left to Lose, with this folk country vibe. I guess I never would have expected anybody that was really into punk to ever get into country. There's been a lot of country punk bands over the years, then some of them called the cow punk. You can hear it in The Replacements, you can hear it in... Uh, so much music that came from the early punk scene, even uh, Violent Femmes. They might not be a quote-unquote punk band, you know, but they definitely come from that, from, come from the roots. That's right, too. I never would have thought about that. Yeah, there's always been a, a side to punk that had, um, well, you had the original bands that were, you know, uh, Ramones had a lot of influences, early rock and roll, surf, and garage rock, and then you had... Um, and even glam, they were even into glam, just like the Pistols were into glam and and all that, T-Rex and Bowie and uh, Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. And then you had um, the Clash that were into, Joe Strummer was into Woody Guthrie. So, I mean, that was one of his favorite artists. He wanted to emulate Woody Guthrie so much, and this is pre-Clash days, that his, people would call him Woody. <laughs> kind of in the same way Bob Dylan tried to emulate Woody Guthrie. And that's why Gaslight Anthem have a song called I Had a Called You Woody. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Anyways, all I'm trying to say is like those guys, there was no punk before those bands. So they were influenced by all kinds of stuff. And when you go further back, like Chuck Berry, he'd play like Hank Williams covers before he was uh, in honky tonks and stuff before he was playing uh, rock and roll. I know a few artists who during this pandemic, they've put out really different music from what they would normally record. 
did COVID have that kind of effect when you were putting together Live to See Tomorrow? It was written before COVID. The whole record was written before COVID. Oh, seriously? Yeah. That's the thing, too, is like a lot of the a lot of the songs, I have like a lot of songs backed up and they usually get put out like a couple of years after they've been written. Sometimes they come out way after they've been written because you got to go through the whole band learning the songs. You got to go through the pre-production. You got to go through studio booking. You got studio time, mastering time, and then preparing the whole album and product. And you don't have like a whole group of uh, big major record label with like 100 people working on the release date you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it takes much longer to put out, but it just so happens that somehow this album sounds like, if you listen to the words, it sounds like it was written during COVID. It does. So then are you saying that when you're a senior citizen and you're in the home with that quilt on your lap, that you're still going to be putting together new music? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, some of the greatest artists, they kept putting out quality material when they were old. I think of Johnny Cash, who put out some of his best stuff as an old man. Like, I know we all love 50s Johnny Cash, but just that stuff that he put out during uh, the Rick Rubin years on American recordings, like uh, The Man Comes Around. Like, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And um, the quality of stuff he put out, it was on a deeper level than most old people can even concoct. I think he had been through the ringer so many times and he just wore his heart on his sleeve. He was so honest mm. that, that even the most hardened, like atheist loves a song Johnny Cash sings about God because it's, it's almost so true that they can't go anywhere else to get that truth. They can't find that in the world. They're not going to find it anywhere. So everyone's going to turn to Johnny Cash when they need a real song. I think those are the best songwriters like a Hank Williams, you know, he could sing house of gold and, um, and he could sing like, uh, Jesus remembered me. I saw the light. And these songs affect people that like they, they're hardcore believers in evolution or whatever, but they want to listen to those songs because where else you're going to find the deeper truth than those guys. I mean, there's a reason they, they wrote what they did. There's a reason they came out at the time they did. There's a reason they left their mark. And I think, um, sometimes that, that reason goes over a lot of people's heads, but nobody can say they haven't heard it. The message is clear. Do you think people will say the same thing about the nailheads 30 years from now? I couldn't tell you, but uh, I mean, even if one person is moved by what we write, it was all worth it. That's how I think, because we live in a very uh, fast-paced world, and we live in a world where not many people are even reflecting why they're even here. So good luck getting a large uh, majority to understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> I should say that one of my favorites from the Nailheads is Twilight Zone. And it's about how two different characters have very different views. But of course, the thing is, is that opinions change with age. What's been your biggest change over the years? Uh, well, there's been a lot of changes. Uh, I think every day have uh, big changes. Uh, but I won't, I'll try to be more direct. Well, my. I lost my brother uh, just two years ago, and uh, mm, that's a tough one. That was a big one. Seeing everybody get older, including yourself, and you, life is very fleeting. And uh, I think we all got to make the most of it. That sounds like a Hallmark card thing to say, but I mean, like it really is one day at a time. You learn that with the passing of time that 
your only promise today. And even that, you know, we might croak at the sound of midnight. (laughs) 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 I guess I'm just trying to learn to take one day at a time. And I, I don't always do that, but I'm trying to. That's something when you're young, you take for granted is time because you think you have forever. Sounds like you're mentally preparing yourself for that senior citizen home. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm already there in my heart. I don't know. <laughs> I really think you were messing with people when you recorded There's Coming a Day. And I thought you were going to be doing a cover of the church song. But the Nailhead song is all new. Where did the idea come from? I didn't even know there was a church song called that. There is. Um, where did the idea come from it? Yeah. Ah, oh, I just, uh, I think the, the, the line, there's coming a day, might, I might have just started singing it and uh, there was a few words there. And then, uh, you know, the more I went over it in my head, the more it was slowly getting completed. And then, I don't know, I had this idea of like, this song should definitely end in a gospel song because the lyrics are very um are chock full of apocalypse totally like the intro kind of is very short intro kind of has a bit of almost like a soul stacks records type of vibe which was on purpose because i love that stuff then we go into pure old school kind of punk rock and then we end with a traditional black gospel uh, like reverend james cleveland type of uh golden age of gospel type sound absolutely and that was- that was all intentional because that's all music that I like. I mean, I love old school punk. I love old school gospel. I love old school soul. And I wanted to find a song that I could blend those on. It just so happened that that topic made those styles all fit together. Because those soul songs, uh, those guys all came from the church. So there was a definite church sound in their songs and their vocal stylings. And even in the topics that they sang, like um, a change is going to come, like Sam Cooke and, and, and just these songs, there was this hope it fits in that style of music for those reasons. And then it fits in punk rock because there's that aggression where, I mean, the book of revelation has a lot of destruction and uh, you don't get any more, you know, you get all these crust punk bands that think they, they know what destruction's about. But if you read the book of revelation, this is real destruction. I mean, they're going to be weeping over everything they lose. You know, it's not going to be like, there goes their vinyl collection of discharge records burnt up, you know, (laughs) It's cool because it really does have that diverse range of styles and it does fit together as a great package. Okay, here, to close up the night, maybe you should sum up the Nailheads for us, Richie. What's the key to the band? Um, the key to the Nailheads would be, well, I'm writing songs that are authentic as possible. And I think that we're growing in that way that it started off more basic and simple. And as time goes on, the lyrics are getting a little deeper. Uh, the topics are getting a little deeper. Because the more I, I think about the music I like and what speaks to me is the same way I want to speak to people. And so I guess when you when you think about the music that has lasted the test of time, it's going to be stuff that touches on the human experience. It's going to be songs about death. It's going to be songs about life. It's going to be songs about family. It's going to be songs about experience and 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 just negative and positive loss and good times bad times but it's not going to be like like you're saying fluff or um there's a time and a place for that kind of music but i don't think it's it's gonna fulfill that need that people have 
if your heart is still beating, you need something that is going to speak to you on a deeper level. And that's, I think, what the Nailheads is. So those songs on the newer record, I think they, they're the ones that have touched those topics the most. Um, you can see the process of life throughout those songs. It starts off with Live to See Tomorrow and Kill or Be Killed. Like, um, if you're not careful about how you act in this life, uh, you're going to end up only harming yourself. And nothing comes easy. Uh, that's something we all learn in this life, and some are more hard head than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Do the Charlie is uh, a song that my brother actually suggested I should write. He said, why don't you write a song about Charles Manson and Charlie Chaplin and make it a dance number? So that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I did. And, and it uh, is. It's a great dance track. <laughs> when you go through the list of these songs, they're all about things that happen to us in the course of a lifetime. And then... You know, you go towards the end of the record and there's um, uh, nothing left to lose. There's coming a day. You're going to feel that way in life sometimes where you've got nothing left to lose. Sometimes that's the best place to be. Because when you think you have everything to lose, that means you're, you're too caught up with the stuff around you that's only temporary. The album is looking forward to an eternal place where thieves don't break in and your clothes don't get eaten by moths and all that. I think it tells the story. It goes through the course of a lifetime. And that's the kind of music I'm trying to write because I think all the the songs that have spoken to me were songs about, you know, life, death, and hardship and love and loss. Music does a lot. It gets you through a day. It, it encourages you. You know, sometimes the saddest song could encourage you the most. And I think that's kind of where I'm coming from. Richie, thanks for this talk and have fun with the Nailheads. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for everything, man.